Good morning. My name is Calvin Davis. Today's scripture reading is from the Good News According to John, chapter 20, beginning at verse 19. Listen for the word of God. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fears of the Jew, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then his disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hands inside, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hands and put it on my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas then answered, My Lord, my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and through believing you may have life in his name. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Thanks be to God. Today's guest pre preacher is Jerry Schoberg. Originally from Vancouver, Jerry was most recently senior academic administrator at Regent College on the UBC campus, and he taught a variety of courses there in the New Testament and biblical languages. Jerry has a PhD in New Testament from the University of Bristol, and during the 1990s, he taught in biblical studies and served as the academic dean at the Theological College of Central Africa in Zambia. As mentioned, he's originally from Vancouver, having moved to, Van to Courtney with his wife, Mary Carroll, whom he met while studying at Regent College. Having previously been involved in Grandview Calvary Baptist Church in East Vancouver, we are delighted that Jerry and Mary Carroll have shared their gifts at two United Churches in the Comox Valley. In addition to participating at St. George's, Jerry is now preaching the second Sunday of every month at Union Bay United Church. Please join me in welcoming Jerry to the pulpit this morning. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to the second Sunday of Easter. The text that was read for us this morning is apt since it mostly has to do with what happened one week after Easter. The text actually starts on Easter Day. It's Sunday evening, and the disciples decide that they need to have an emergency meeting to talk about what they're going to do next. They had great hopes for the movement 
coming to Jerusalem and expecting things would change. But the leaders of the Jews and of the Romans had conspired together to do away with Jesus. They crucified him right in front of everyone. What were his followers supposed to do now? They were confused. They were afraid. Peter and one of the others had been to Jesus' tomb and reported that someone had taken his body away. To make matters more difficult, one of the ladies who traveled with them, Mary Magdalene, swore that she had seen Jesus and spoken with him in the garden nearby. But women can be a bit excitable. I mean, rise from the dead? If only. So there they were, gathered together in a friend's home. Someone said, we need some food. Thomas said, I'll go for pizza. <laughs> Bartholomew asked, see if they have pineapple. <laughs> the others looked somewhat quizzically at Bartholomew. But the point is that Thomas was not there for what happened next. As they were talking with each other, all of a sudden, Jesus was there in their midst, flesh and blood, full of life, speaking peace. And he said, boy, have I got a story to tell you. They listened to Jesus, and then he had to go. I don't know where he went. He was with his friends, but he had to go. In any case, although they were somewhat baffled, they were all very happy. And then Thomas returns. He can sense that the, the gloom has somewhat lifted. We just saw Jesus, they all said. He was right here with us. Can you believe it? And Thomas replied, yeah, right. And the Loch Sea of Galilee monster really does exist. No, really, they said. He was here. But Thomas was no fool. Unless I see the evidence of his wounds, I won't believe it. And then we jump to the next Sunday. And they made sure that someone else went for pizza. And sure enough, Jesus appears again. We're not told what he had been doing throughout the week in between. So far, it seems, he's appearing only on Sundays, maybe trying to get the point across that from now on, Sundays would be Resurrection Day. According to John, Sundays are also Holy Spirit Day, because at that first Easter Day meeting, we read that Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Clearly, no COVID restrictions in place there. But this appears to be like 
John's version of the Pentecost. The spirit that Jesus had been talking about, the spirit who would lead you into all truth, now is being given to Jesus' followers. So Sunday becomes both Resurrection Day and Holy Spirit Day. It's New Life Day. It's why, for example, the 40 days of Lent take 46 calendar days to complete because we don't count the Sundays. For Jesus' followers, Sundays are always a celebration of resurrection and new life. That's why you are allowed to eat chocolate on the Sundays during Lent. Didn't, didn't Ryan or Ingrid tell you that? <laughs> well, you'll know for next year. You can, you can do penance as much as you want, six days of the week, but during Lent, Sundays are party time. Anyways, when Thomas saw Jesus, when he saw the wounds, he replied, My Lord and my God. I would like to unpack Thomas's response a little bit. First of all, Thomas has been tagged with the epithet Doubting Thomas because of this incident. And I think for the most part, it is a bad rap. Admittedly, Thomas is a bit of a dramatic foil in John's Gospel. He says things ironically. He sets the stage for Jesus to say something very profound. For example, you remember when hearing that Lazarus had died, Jesus tells his disciples that now they're going to go and see the place where he was buried, not far from Jerusalem, where trouble was brooding. And Thomas says, let us go so that we may die with him. He's being somewhat sarcastic and pessimistic, but in fact, he gives expression to the heart of what being a follower of Jesus was all about. In the other, work, in the other gospels, Jesus would say, take up your cross and follow me. Later, when Jesus tells his disciples that he's uh, about to go away, but that you know the way to the place where I am going. It is Thomas who asked, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Which is a setup for Jesus to say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And in our account today, Thomas not believing at first, and then believing when he sees Jesus sets the stage for Jesus to say, you have believed because you have seen me. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Presumably referring to people who hear about Jesus after he's gone. Like people who read John's gospel. Like you and me. But still, I think labeling Thomas as doubting is a bad rap. 
he was, after all, only asking to see the evidence that all the other disciples had seen. Fair enough. Many people after this would hear about Jesus who would not have the privilege of seeing him in person. And they would be asked to believe that God had raised him from the dead on the basis of what? On the basis of the credibility of the testimony of the apostles, on the reality of seeing God at work in people's lives, on the experience of the spirit of Jesus in his followers. There are numerous reasons why people come to believe in the resurrection. In actual fact, you can never prove the resurrection like proving 2 plus 2 equals 4. We can provide evidence, but it's a bit like trying to prove a case in a court of law, trying to get to a place beyond reasonable doubt. And we can't do that with the resurrection, lest someone think all of this is an exercise in wishful thinking. For example, the quip I made earlier about women being somewhat excitable that is, not being very reliable witnesses, actually reflects the dominant opinion of that day, such that if you were to make up a story about someone rising from the dead, you wouldn't have your first witnesses be women. It's also interesting that Jesus' followers began meeting on the first day of the week to worship on the first day of the week. Something very profound must have happened to change these Jews from worshiping on the Sabbath to worshiping on the Sunday. Indeed, the very existence of the ongoing Jesus movement is evidence that something radical had happened. There were several other messianic-type movements, both before Jesus and after Jesus. And when they got out of control, typically what would happen is the Romans would come, arrest the leader, put him in jail or execute him, and that was all it took. The followers would disperse, the revolution would be thwarted, and we would never hear about it again. So why didn't the Jesus movement stop when they killed Jesus? As I said, you can never prove Jesus' resurrection, but as a historian, there is evidence to suggest that it's not as crazy a concept as it might first appear. But back to Thomas. I wonder whether Thomas isn't the saint, exactly the saint, that we need for today. The example of someone who will ask critical questions before committing himself. I know some people struggle with doubt. 
when people struggle with different issues and at different levels of intensity. For some, it makes them inquisitive. For others, it makes them despondent. I don't have a panacea for doubt. But I will say that some level of doubt is both helpful and healthy. We live in an age where we have been lied to by people in power. For me, it began with the Pentagon Papers and Watergate, although I'm quite aware that people had been lying prior to that. But in response, what we have today are conspiracy theories running amok, often based on beliefs that are demonstrably not true. Some were just funny. The earth is flat. The moon landing was staged. I saw a UFO. I saw Elvis. But now they've become more serious, starting with the assassination of JFK and the involvement of the CIA, the mafia, the vice president, Fidel Castro, the KGB, whoever you want. In many ways, it's, it was the mother of all conspiracies. The vapor trails behind jets in the sky contain chemicals designed for population control. The electromagnetic radiation from cell phone towers undermines our immune system. The, the 2010 Deepwater Horizon oil rig fire in the Gulf of Mexico was an act of sabotage by people intending to promote environmentalism. The attacks on 9-11 were actually controlled demolitions. And these theories are made all the more credible when they are said loudly, repeatedly, and with much emotion. If you find any of this remotely entertaining, <clears throat> try Googling the hoax conspiracy, birds aren't real. Yes, t-shirts are available. <laughs> but indeed, some conspiracy theories have led to great distress, social upheaval, and some have been absolutely catastrophic. 45,000 people have died, arising from complications, from receiving COVID-19 vaccinations. Jews are plotting to overtake the world and they must be stopped. Biological weapons were being developed in the Ukraine. What we believe is important. It's not true that everyone in positions of power lies, nor is it true that there are no conspiracies. 
but in a world where truth and lies are all around us, we find ourselves in something of a fog. And I suggest that it is crucial to develop critical faculties. And like Thomas, ask for some evidence. Take news with a grain of salt, especially if we get it on social media. But if believing lies can be so destructive, can you accept that believing the truth can change the world for the good? In a few minutes, we will be invited to say these words. On the third day, he rose again. What if saying that we're not simply a ticking of a box to confirm our orthodoxy, but rather the opening of a new reality. For like Thomas, like for Thomas and his fellow disciples, what would Jesus' resurrection have meant for them? I suggest three things. First, Jesus' resurrection means that Jesus' ministry has been vindicated. It would mean that welcoming the marginalized matters, that forgiveness of sins matters, that healing the sick matters, that blessing the poor matters, that welcoming children matters, that teaching about the kingdom of God matters, that challenging the oppressors matters. All that he said and did gets punctuated with an exclamation point. Even if following Jesus does involve taking up our cross, somehow that's okay because we know it's the right way to go. Second, Jesus' resurrection means that bodily life is affirmed. Hope for resurrection after death was part of the faith of some Jews but no one else in the ancient world hoped for that. No one else wanted it. If people hoped for any kind of existence after death, it would have been some kind of disembodied spiritual existence. The point was that being embodied was part of the problem. But God raising Jesus in bodily form affirms the goodness of bodily life. It affirms the goodness of creation. Knowing this helps us to understand why COVID restrictions, as necessary as they have been, were so difficult. Because being physically present, seeing faces, touching and embracing, 
are all fundamental to what it is to be human. Third, Jesus' resurrection means that the empire does not have the final word. Reference to Star Wars partially intended. Crucifixion was the Roman Empire's way of putting people in their place and telling them to shut up. What a radical thing it was to announce that a crucified Messiah had been raised from the dead. What hope it would give to people who suffer under oppression. God really is more powerful than the Romans, even more powerful than death. When all seems lost, God can redeem the hopeless. This morning we are being invited on Resurrection Day to meet together to encounter Jesus anew and to confess along with Thomas, my Lord and my God. Amen.